Okay, guys, come on. You saw the title. You know exactly what we're talking about today. So obviously, trigger warning. I mean, it's headless animal ghosts. If they're ghosts, they're dead. And if they're headless, they died in not very pretty ways. So if you are a vegan or an animal rights activist or even a decent human being, you may be triggered by what we're going to be talking about today. And joining me is Cole Harold yet again to talk about some high strangeness cases of headless animal ghosts. Like the Pennsylvanian cases of headless ghost cows and pigs tied to haunted slaughterhouses, a lot of headless dogs that are perched up on trees, headless ghost chicken that wander a road in Wisconsin and seem to be conjuring light orbs. But today we're not just talking about headless ghost animals, we're also talking about headless human ghosts which bear the head of an animal instead of their own head. Or things like the headless mule of Brazil which is actually a dead human that turned into the ghost of a headless animal. Or how about haunted taxidermies? Yes, guys. A lot of taxidermied mountain lions which seem to come to life. And even a haunted skeleton of a donkey. This is one of the most fun episodes I ever made and we just lose our heads, going into millions of tangents and laughing along the way. So I guess sit back, relax, listen to this wacky nonsense, and if you stay till the very end, I guess you guys should have your heads checked. My popular demand, I'm having Cole on again. Hello, Cole. Hey. <laughs> My first question for you today is, where's your head at? <laughs> Probably where it needs to be for the moment, to say the least. Uh, oh, and I, I was making the joke last time when we did the recording with you about your personal experiences with entities. You ended up having another experience right after our episode. And yeah. I'm like, hey, are you nervous about uh, doing this episode with me? Maybe you'll, you'll wake up tomorrow without your head. <laughs> Yeah, I don't, uh, I mean, I don't think that's going to happen, but who knows? We'll see. You did wake up uh, today with a headache, though. I did, I did. Yeah. Uh, So I I was telling you, like, I'm totally burned out. I am the headless one today. Listeners, I did not do any research. I know some cool animal facts that I can share off the top of my head. Ha ha ha, puns. (laughs) (laughs) But all the research today is from Cole himself. And Cole, um, can you tell the listeners, like, how we got to the idea of doing this wonderful topic? Yeah, sure. So I was uh, looking into basically headless ghost cases for uh, Heather Mosher because she's doing some wonderful things right now. Um, and she asked for some help. And Wow. I ha- okay. I, I right off the bat. So yesterday I, I messaged Heather because I, I wanted to like prepare something for this episode with you. And I asked Heather, hey, do you know anything about the symbology of headless ghosts? Like not <laughs> cases, not cases, but rather just, you know, the symbology meaning. And she's like, I did not research that much into it. I only did individual cases. And I'm like, mm-hmm. Ah, whatever. Um, 
and now you're mentioning that so uh, yeah yeah interesting yeah she asked me if i knew anything about any local cases and at the time at the time i couldn't think of anything and so i'm like well let me let me look through some sources that i have and i while doing so i stumbled across a specific case that i had to send to you right away because i knew you'd get a yes. kick out of it <laughs> so um and then we just started talking about that and it went from that into why don't we just do an episode on ghost animals that are headless and then uh-huh. as as we started doing re- as i started doing research and you started looking into the a couple things that we we just uh i ended up reading beforehand um and included in the notes but uh that i have it got into this whole web work of other types of things like haunted taxidermy and um mm. ghosts of animals that were back in when they were alive humans and different things like that so it just became this wonderful web work of weird and isn't it always interesting so you know everybody says oh let's talk about ghosts you know that's such a broad topic mm-hmm. but then you need to make it more specific let's talk about animal ghosts but even that is such a broad topic. Even you have a whole book about animal ghosts. Uh, you talked with Todd about that. And that's where I got the idea. Like, hey, I know that you're already interested in ghost animals. So why, you know, don't we do something with that? Your interest. Mm-hmm. Essentially, and what I do with my episodes with you now is I just let you do research into something that you love and then share it on my show so I can profit. <laughs> I mean, hey, I'm fine with that to say the least. I mean, I could talk yeah. about this type of stuff all day. So And, and, and when you go like so specific, like not just animal ghosts but headless animal ghosts you find all of these intricate connections with other things Mm -hmm. a lot of which you know goes into different things in folklore different historical figures it's really interesting to say the least and like i said an interesting thing is also the fact that i found a ton of these cases that i had never even heard of until like literally we started talking about doing this and i did a little bit of searching into things that are around my area or in my Mm -hmm. home state so i'm like well now this is just more cooler than I thought it was going to be because it's basically in my backyard type legends and stuff. So, And I always find it very interesting like a bit off topic, just how many cool cases of high strangeness there are in fucking Pennsylvania. Is it that Pennsylvania is so magical or is it just that you're such a good researcher that you dig up all of these things and you're looking for Pennsylvanian things? I think that every state in the United States, and that extends to the provinces in Canada and the countries, the different villages, that everything has these stories and these cool things it's just that people lo- either lose them or they get discarded over the years like when i started looking into the 14 it was basically because i was interested in what's in pa we don't hear you don't hear anything and then it just kind of went into oh well here's like these cases that other researchers have done that are some such as like stan gordon with all the work that he did uh, or timothy renner recently mm-hmm. and then that kind of went into okay well so there's this stuff which is all like cryptids and modern st- like um ufo encounters and things like that but it always seemed to be in specific regions like western pennsylvania stan gordon's sort of um area i live in central pa so there's very little that was seemingly written until i found that oh no there's a lot going on it's just in all these other sources that nobody ever seemed to connect the dots to like we had a major ufo flap in harrisburg which is um in central pa there's a ghost of a werewolf that's located in line mountain which is about 40 minutes away from me there's a headless ghost dog which we can get into then that's yeah. literally 10 minutes from my work <laughs> and is, isn't that funny uh werewolf ghosts so like it's two mysteries in one you know when we say you can't explain a mystery with another mystery yep and this is just levels upon levels of high strangeness like i'm already presenting you a werewolf that you'll never be able to prove but now it's a ghost werewolf <laughs> as well <laughs> 
Oh yeah, that's one of my favorite cases though. I I love it. Okay, here here's a cool question. What if there was a ghost dog man but headless? How would you know that it's a dog man then? <laughs> I uh, I don't even know. I don't know what you'd even. I don't even know, honestly. <laughs> and there are dogmen in Pennsylvania. I know there are actually Bald Eagle State Park, which um, I've gone bigfooting at and looked for Thunderbirds for a couple times. That's actually a big dogman location, and so is the Chestnut Ridge. Then there's also like we we have just about everything here. We have like goatmen. Um, we have the Sheepman of Waterford. We have like uh, obviously lake monsters, river monsters, Thunderbirds, the Squonk, the Squonk. <laughs> yep, fairies that actually. They look like flying squirrels, gargoyles, just about anything has been reported in PA, it seems. Okay, let, let's get get back on topic before the listeners lose their heads. Oh, yeah. <laughs> okay, so let, let's start off with the case that brought us here, the one that you sent me, which is from PA. Is this near you? Uh, this one is actually, interestingly enough, since we brought up Squonkfest, it's in the same town that Squonkfest is going to be at, or Squonkapalooza. Oh, in Johnstown, Pennsylvania, in August, I don't know the date now off the top of my head. <laughs> the listeners go go check out Squonkapalooza. Well, yeah. So it, it's literally now Johnstown's about an hour from me and it's south I want to say so it's not too far I'm, I'm actually planning on actually trying to get down to Squonkapalooza um, since it is so close basically this uh, this report appeared in the world newspaper which was a New York newspaper yeah that eventually was basically reported or claimed to have been reported by a guy named Elmer Person who is an editor of the Pennsylvania Grit which was a paper that ran through Williamsport which is about 40 miles not 40 miles 40 minutes away from me okay and he he's Elmer Person. Oh, yeah. Uh-huh. And you know how on Facebook I call myself Vook Person. person. <laughs> that's another reason. That's another th- reason I had to send that to you because it, it's like, wow, this is perfect for you because of it, your, what your Facebook last name is. And it's so pulpy. Like, the yeah. dude didn't want to use probably his full name when writing about a fucking decapitated ghost cow. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I, I mean, I, I actually, I tried to see if I could find anything more on the Pennsylvania grit and I couldn't. Something else of that that I had to keep in mind, but... But that was, but, bas- uh, <laughs> but basically what um, the title of the article was Ghost of a Cow with Severed Head, the Frightful Spook that Has Alarmed Residents of Cambria County, PA. Fearful noises issue from its throat. And it had a second subtitle, which read Terrifying Ghost Cow Seen Near Johnstown, PA. With head separated from the body, the apparition cavorts over the country with greenish fire shinings from its eyes and mouth. And that is just a fantastic title. If, if you're not drawn in to looking at yeah. that article because of that. <laughs> That's so wonderful that they had like multiple subtitles. Now you just see the title and the way, you know, people read news nowadays on the internet. You just read the title and move on. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But this is like layers of subtitles enticing you to read further. Like if you don't want to read the small print, at least we will provide you all this cool information. Oh yeah, it's text. it's almost like it reminds me of like a Barker, almost like a like a like the old mm-hmm. Carnival freak shows, you know, where it's like see the freak of nature, you know, type of a deal, half yes. human, half man, and I, I I love that a little bit. But basically, the point of the article was is that in an old slaughterhouse building on the outskirts of Johnstown, that people would report seeing late at night the ghost of a cow that would run out of the building, which they would describe as fast as a train, and um 
um, they would see it basically run and walk around like the perimeter by the fence. And while it's a headless cow, it also still does have its head, which floats above the ground. That again, as the report states, it breathes fire and has light, glowing seeming, eyes, glowing eyes, and seemingly roars, uh, roar, not roars, but releases a roaring bellow from the uh, the area of the severed neck. Mm. So I imagine what would happen if you put a lighter at the severed neck. Oh, <laughs> like when people light cow farts. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's probably what happened too. why it's on fire or something like that. <laughs> it struck a match by accident. I mean, uh, that, that can go into if we later talk about the Brazilian uh, headless mule. Yeah. yeah but but see, there, there's that parallel because even this is said to have, is it said to have flames or that eyes are glowing like flames? Um, it says to cow. have, it says to have fire. It wow. says to have fire coming out of it, out of the mouth. Um, and even in like the old picture that they did do for it, like they, sh- they depict flames just spewing out of its mouth and eyes and just the body itself too, a little bit. Mm-hmm. And for the listeners, this uh, bellowing growl is not heard from the heads, but rather from the neck hole, mm-hmm. which is pretty disturbing. <laughs> Definitely. Now, I, I wanted to share this. So when I was a kid, I had a book about like weird, amazing animal facts, whatever. It's just some children's book I was buying in those book sales in mm-hmm. while in Canada in school. And it had this one story, like some lady was cooking a turkey. And at a certain point, she heard a loud uh, squeal, like the turkey, dead turkey in her oven was squawking. <laughs> <laughs> and what was happening, there was a buildup of steam and it was not beheaded properly. It still had mm. its, uh, you know, larynx and vocal cords and whatnot. And the steam was coming through those vocal cords and squawking <laughs> oh. while the turkey was cooking. <laughs> So maybe why this cow is bellowing is because, you know, it's on fire. That's true. That's very possible. I love that. Could you just imagine just seeing that, though, in general? (laughs) Like, going out to a field and you're like, oh, this is, like, you see that, you see just the ghost cow itself, and that's eerie enough, but then just to, like, see, like, the chest and the throat, like, rumble a little bit and then hearing that noise, that... (laughs) Yes. Oh, man. And also, when I read of how its head is detached from the body and floating around it, I could not help but, you know, draw parallels with the Penangalan of Filipino mythology. Yeah, yeah. Well, there's that, and then there's also, what is it? it it's in Japan. There's um, a type of uh, yokai that basically it looks like a normal person, but then at night, the head itself flies off. Like, with the Penangalan, you know, like it's got all of the, the fun bits still dragging oh, yeah. from, from down there, you know. And for, for, for the listeners who don't know don't know what a Penangalan is, it is a part of the Aswang umbrella of creatures, but essentially a vampire witch that detaches her head from her body at night and under the floating head are all of the entrails from the body. Mm-hmm. And yeah. I read somewhere that the way they kill a Penangalan is by locating the headless body while it's out and about during the night and filling the neck hole with broken shards of glass. Yep, or nails. They find all sorts of ways to basically screw with it and to stop it from sucking out, you know, the yeah. the, ba- the 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 viscera. <laughs> Um, (laughs) You didn't want to go to the babies, huh? Oh, I mean, yeah, that's the thing. They suck out the, uh, you know, the fetuses of uh, pregnant women. So, Listeners, we're not (laughs) going to be talking about Oswangs. 
No, no. Uh, a super interesting group of monsters, but... <laughs> and is there anything else to this ghost cow? Because I know that it was seen by multiple people, so it's not a one-and-done thing. Yeah, no, they, they basically... There was an elderly man that they ended up quoting who said that it was like a joke during the day, but at night it was a haunting reality because he even had seen it, and that people would basically avoid the area because of this ghost cow. They never really got into specifics about uh, any particular encounters. And what's f fascinating is that it is near a slaughterhouse, so you can assume that this is the ghost of one of the slaughtered cattle. Yep. Well, that actually, interestingly enough, there's another case of uh, a headless, well, not just one, but a group of headless animal ghosts that actually are also interconnected to a slaughterhouse, also in PA. Wow. <laughs> and this one involves how they basically, they're headless pigs um, from Adamstown, Pennsylvania. And I was gonna ask, are all of these headless slaughterhouse animals kosher or not so if they're pigs they're definitely not that's no. why you're haunted by the headless ghosts of the cattle man <laughs> but then you still got the ghosts of the headless pigs though too <laughs> <laughs> uh, in, the, in that case, they actually are reported to leave the area of the slaughterhouse and actually walk down the streets of Adamstown in large numbers and will just appear just about anywhere in the city. And the legend behind uh, why they exist is that during the period of uh, time when the slaughterhouse was up and running, it was up against the Ectonoc distillery. And that basically what would happen is that all of the waste from the distillery they threw into the barnyard and that became a place for the pigs to get extra food and because of this the pigs grew extremely fat and large and it caused the slaughterhouse to boom and of course because of this there were so many pigs that were killed that literally the result is is that the ghosts apparently are so angry by this that they now litter the streets of town and that sometimes they fill up the streets to the point that people can't traverse through them because there's so many headless ghost pigs. Mm, that's very interesting because I'm thinking of gluttony. You know, we're slaughtering so many pigs, like even more than we need to eat. And I'm thinking of the tagline for, uh, was it the Dawn of the Dead movie? Like, uh, when, oh, when, there, when there's no more room in hell, the dead will walk yes. the earth. Yes. Well, when there's no more room in our stomachs, <laughs> our food will walk the earth. <laughs> Oh, yes, that is great. Uh, I mean, it, it's interesting to say the least, though, that a lot of these cases are from like the early 1900s, late 1800s that I've found. Um, like when it comes to like ghost animals of like the barnyard type, like the ghost cows and things like that. I have to wonder if that had something to do with processing animals or something along those lines. Yeah, I'm thinking now, you know, of old stinker and how people believe that because we eradicated all the wolves of mm -hmm. England in Yorkshire and now uh, in Hull around the area of Hull, Yorkshire there is this werewolf that is a personification of the ecological guilt yes is this maybe a personification of ecological guilt but because of industrialization of processing of meat it might be because we don't seem to have a lot of these modern cases of these slaughterhouse related uh, multiple animal ghosts yeah it might be I'm not quite sure actually in pa i kind of would question it a little bit because we very much and i'm going to say this like the more rural parts of pa they really don't they care about um nature and things along those lines but we're also very big into hunting and keeping taxidermy and different things like that so when it comes to things like keeping nature clean for the most part we're very good at it but then at the same time we also advocate like deer season's almost a holiday for us type of a deal so for yeah. me for 
me, it's kind of like the logic of barnyard type ghosts at at least in PA, because I don't think the vegetarian movement was that big of a thing at that time mm. or even budding. Okay, now another parallel I'm thinking of is cattle mutilation, um, which is a more modern version of this type of thing that we're talking about. But recently in Georgia, there was a flap of cattle mutilations, and then the farmers were like, "Hey, why are we killing these poor animals? Why don't we start being, you know, vegetarians and vegans?" Hmm. Yeah, I didn't see. I actually didn't see that, but that's interesting. And I mean, that is definitely and for the listeners. It is something. That that my Guyanist mentor, uh, David Perkins, keeps keeps talking about because he is a cattle mutilation researcher and he keeps beating the drum of this Georgia case, which is very recent and where mm-hmm. the, the Georgian farmers really started thinking more green as a result of the mutilations. Hmm, that's interesting. I have never actually had thought about that, but that definitely would make sense. I'd be curious to see like other places that are big in cattle mutilation type events, if that's common, because I know that's something very prevalent in like Colorado and Utah. And Oh yeah, but that was during the 60s and 70s. Uh, it's still going on though, pretty strong. I, they just... Um... Mm-hmm. I, I th- But I think there are a lot of cases in Brazil and in China as well. It's not just huh. in the United States. All right. Well, yeah, that definitely would be interesting. Thing to see and i mean if anybody's interested in that phenomenon there's the whole book stalking the herd which has over a thousand pages <laughs> all you you'd ever want to and not want to know about cattle mutilations oh, <laughs> oh man <sighs> all right uh i'm trying to think did you lose your head, man? I'm Already. trying. I'm, yeah, I'm trying. I guess. I, I wanted to br- bring this up. So I was reading about this ghost cow in Pennsylvania on the internet, and it's mentioned that some podcaster d- dug into the story more and found out that that slaughterhouse either never existed or has been demolished a long time ago. Oh, yes. I think I, I know what you're talking about, too. Um, I think that was the Paranormal Wiki did mention that. Mm-hmm. Yes. Um, the article that they did on that. I tried to look further into that myself if I could find what podcast looked into it and i i couldn't um i didn't seem to find where they got that part from but it wouldn't surprise me because a lot of the times such buildings especially here in pa or i'm not even just going to say here in pa but in general once a building gets super old they demolish it or they just leave it i mean if, if it was a slaughterhouse from 1880s of course you're not gonna still be slaughtering animals there now in no, the modern age. no and even if it was abandoned in the early 1900s when they wrote the article there's a very good chance that by the time even now that it's become a walmart <laughs> it, uh, more like a dollar general but yeah yeah because every green field turns into a dollar general here and and nowadays the the stakes can't even uh walk around during the night because they're all wrapped in plastic <laughs> <laughs> yep basically and listeners that's that's the actual reason why we process meat that way today <laughs> because we've been traumatized by these ghosts of the livestock we've been murdering. So to prevent the dead from rising again, we just mummify them in plastic. <laughs> oh my God, that was great. I'm loving this episode because I mean, I mean, what else can we do than have fun and laugh and joke around? We're talking about such a stupid, absurd topic. Pretty much. I mean, there's not much you, I mean, you can always get philosophical about things with this type of stuff, but this is literally just, they saw a headless ghost cow that ran around. They saw headless ghost pigs that filled the streets. Uh, you, you had some kind of chicken. Oh, yes. Well. Here, 
here we go. I was I was I was waiting for this to, to bring this one up because this is fantastic. So this is the Highgate Ghost Chicken, and this is one of perhaps the most recorded ghost animal encounter, um, at least that I've found. And basically, it comes from Pond Square, which is uh, again in Highgate, which is um, in London, England. And the story of this chicken goes back actually to Sir Francis Bacon. You know, the, he was a he was a philosopher. <laughs> what a stupid, absurd name, man. <laughs> I just love the synchronicities of this episode. I know. I know. That's it, it's the perfect name too, especially if you're going to be associated with a ghost chicken, you get Sir Francis Bacon. <laughs> oh man. Oh. Uh, but um, the, the story goes is that, well, uh, for those who don't know, Sir Francis Bacon was a philosopher. He wrote several books on religion and the judicial system. And he was also, according to some sources, one of the pioneers of the scientific method, which I, again, I don't know how accurate that is, but it's always included. And, and yet he talks about a headless ghost chicken. Well, no, no, no. He actually, he is the, the reason the ghost chicken is around. <laughs> um, oh. So so this, this gets into um, how back in the uh, 1600s, how food preservation uh, was incredibly difficult. And so Bacon was wondering if there might be some way that you could preserve food through cold and ice. So in March of 1626, Bacon and his friend, Dr. Witherbone, <laughs> were driving around and... Uh, <laughs> Uh, I, I know. I know. <laughs> oh, my God. This is just the names. Uh, they were driving around in Bacon's coach in um, the area of Highgate. And the whole area was frozen at the time. Now, during this part in history, Highgate was very rural. It was fields and full of farm life as opposed to how it's now sort of like small community in a bigger part of London. And while they were driving around, they saw a chicken farm. And, you know, Bacon got hit with this idea of an experiment to try and conduct in this area. And so he commanded his coachman to stop they told him basically go buy a chicken and i want you to clean it gut it pluck all the feathers and uh bring it back to me basically and so the coachman did this and bacon then began to stuff the bird with snow and then upon filling the chest cavity as full as he could with snow he stuck the bird into an old bag filled that with snow mm -hmm. and then ended up putting this frozen bag into the ground and piled that up with snow i mean this is uh, before refrigerators even existed and he was trying to find a better way for cryogenically preserving meats exactly that, yeah. that that but so that's what he was trying to do now what happened was after he was done with this he began to not feel well and so he was not able to actually check back onto his experiment because he ended up dying in april a couple days Ooh. later okay so i heard okay this is a bit tangential i was reading into some cases and there was a case of a headless horse in in Georgia that I sent you. Yes, yes. And, and they were talking about, like, why don't you shoot that horse? And the guy is like, I don't want you to do that because another guy shot a ghost and died after three days. Mm -hmm. So it's like this dude was desecrating this chicken and then bury, I mean, he tried to bury it under snow to refrigerate it, but it's like burying in hollowed ground or whatnot. And mm -hmm. who, know, who knows what kind of magic he conjured? He, he basically just pet cemetery the chicken. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, but so after 
after he passed away, the area suddenly started to get wind of basically a ghost in the area. And unlike it being like the ghost of him, it was here the ghost of a chicken that everyone who noticed it said that it was terrified, that it was noticeably cold so they could see that it was like shivering. And it was featherless and shivering. <laughs> yep, yep. It was featherless and that it would often run around in a circle before disappearing. Now, occasionally, um, I had never heard of it until literally you sent me this before the pod. There was a, th- some people do say that the ghost was was headless. I mean, it, it was just like a chicken that you'd buy a whole chicken from a supermarket without the heads, uh, gutted, all that stuff. Yep. Uh, now, that's something that did never appear in any of the other, like the, there was a newspaper article written in 1958 by the London Evening News, and that actually was written by Leslie Thomas, who got a hold of two different people who reported to see the ghost chicken. The one during World War II, and another one actually after that who would report seeing the bird basically perched in a tree on several occasions in front of her house. Yeah, and th- there was this other account from a couple who were sitting on a bench under the tree and making out, and mm-hmm. uh, the chicken jumped uh, into their lap. Yep, then there was another sighting of a man that basically during his car basically broke down, and he had to walk through Pond Square as as he was going to go get some help. He noticed the ghost of the chicken running around on the ground in front of him, and he was at first looking for kids then upon seeing this, thinking that they that kids had gone and plucked this chicken, and that he was going to basically tell the kids, you know, oh, you know, scold them or chastise them or whatever. But then upon looking back and not seeing any kids and looking back at the where the chicken was, it was gone. So that was the last sighting of the ghost chicken, and that was February 1970. I also I also found some detail that in the old accounts, people would first hear the sounds of the wheels of a carriage or something like that. Y- yes, that one is in the 1943 December sighting by an aircraftman named Terence Long. He had heard that actually while he was walking across Pond Square, and during this time frame, they had what was referred to as blackening out, um, and that was basically where you removed all of the lights in like a city to make it difficult for bombers to hit potential targeted areas. So, you know, this is during World War II at this time. Oh, how the times have changed. Oh, yeah. Uh, <laughs> A little bit, I guess. But as basically he was walking in this pitch black street, he had heard basically the hoofbeats and the sound of a carriage pulling up. And then he heard a frightened shriek afterwards that basically he was already freaked out by this when suddenly he noticed a the, the ghost chicken running towards him. And basically it was doing this uh, half running, half flying, spinning sort of motion on the ground. And the man upon seeing that uh, decided, you know, oh, that he needed to calm himself. So he closed his eyes and took what um, he would quote as a deep lung full of air and whereupon once he exhaled the bird was gone he then left the area in complete terror and ran almost headfirst into a firewalker who was somebody that basically during the time made sure that sort of like a fireman but made mm-hmm. sure that no fires were broken out and he was telling the fireman about basically what he had just saw and he was fully expecting this uh, firewalker to laugh at him but then the firewalker uh, actually said to him that no this isn't this is not unique and that a month or two before him, they had seen the uh, the ghost chicken, and that a group of people had actually seen this bird running around on the ground, and that a man attempted to capture the ghost chicken to help with his meat rations, and that they basically continued this sort of chase for some time until the bird ran into a wall and phased through it, and the man then realized that it was not a, a living chicken. Yeah, but if it was headless and featherless, I mean... 
he could have guessed. Yeah. Uh, well, that that sort of gets into the whole thing where the the headless thing, like I said, was not something that was constantly. It would seem was mm-hmm. done. But another interesting thing is not all animal ghosts, or not even all headless ghosts of, of humans, usually are headless. We were talking a little bit earlier about how there was the the cases where they would have a pig's head instead. The ghost of Anne Boleyn um, is described as being headless and having a head on occasion in the same locations, such as the Tower of London. Um, so it's not uncommon for ghosts to appear with a head and then without a head. It, it just or with a displaced head, like uh, the head of a pig, a head yeah. of a completely other species. Yeah. And speaking of Anne Boleyn, can you share what you found about her case? Okay. So an interesting thing about Anne Boleyn's ghost is that on occasion it is reported in being seen carried around in a coach. The interesting thing about this coach is that it is drawn by headless horses in the culture of England and Ireland, the UK, well, I was and, and France as well, there are these mm-hmm. stories of these coaches, these funeral coaches that basically appear and that they drag or um, the coffins or they act as actual, you know, traditional coaches for the dead. And that most of the time they're depicted as having horses without heads or skeletal drivers without heads. We even kind of see something similar like that in the United States with um, Lincoln's funeral train being a similar type of device where you know it's the the ghost train pulled by instead of you know headless horses obviously it's a train but it's um got a headless skeletal driver occasionally reported um and that it carries the ghost of lincoln's um down the same path that it did on his funeral interesting and i know that this also ties into the headless horsemen or rather the doula hands Mm -hmm. which are fairy creatures yeah there's the the coach of bowers and the doula hans which are these they're described as faith type entities which are headless horsemen and they use the spines of humans as whips and they're fearful of gold and all this incredibly macabre stuff that's and are doula hands sometimes uh, depicted as riding headless horses as well they are occasionally there's some origin to it in history or a reason why this would occur in folk tales and it's it deals with the fact that um some graves that were excavated they had found headless men buried with horses with their heads removed and it deals with there's this belief that basically being buried alongside of an animal is sort of like this great honor no not an honor the quite the opposite sort of it's sort of an insult at least with with these people and this is when we look into the cases of uh, people whose ghosts turn into ghost animals usually it's a symbol of shame towards the person like they did something bad or they sinned so much that they now not only wander as a ghost but wander as the ghost of an animal and with the headless mule of Brazil. I mean, we should not dwell too much on it because it is such a complex topic. Mm-hmm. Anthropological studies done on it, but oftentimes the headless mule of Brazil is actually the ghost of, let's say, a woman who sins, and oftentimes the sin is yeah. being romantically involved with a Catholic priest or something, and she roams around as a headless mule, and the symbology of that is shame upon her being, you know, depicted as a mule for mm-hmm. all eternity, but also since it is a headless mule, it cannot think there is no intelligence, so it needs to resort to its instinctual animalistic uh, desires just as the sin that was committed. Mm-hmm. Well, that's like the flaming turkey of Campa in uh, the Czech Republic. That was the story about a man that basically ate a turkey on Good Friday when he was supposed to be fasting and basically suffered. His gallbladder ruptured, and basically after the, the following Good Friday, the year later, in place of 
of uh, where at the mill where he uh, worked and lived that there was a ghost turkey now that haunts the location and that it's on fire and that anyone who would dare to grab the turkey was burned and they brought in militia to try to shoot the bird but they were, couldn't get too close because they were afraid that their gunpowder would explode and people would report seeing this ghost turkey and try and that it would constantly be on fire which is something that also appears in these ghost animal stories quite frequently yeah but that's a very interesting case because uh, turkeys are not native to Europe so obviously there cannot be some middle ages or earlier origin to the folklore of a flaming ghost turkey in Czechoslovakia mm-hmm. uh, it's a very modern interpretation of the myth yeah that, that's something that um, I came I don't even know when that would have occurred that case it, I know it appeared in Prague's full of ghosts I don't think they ever stated when the legend began and it would be very interesting now that you're bringing up this whole motif of displacing people with animals or burying them with animals even these I have found in my research I did do a bit of cursory research on the internet but like headless human ghosts Mm -hmm. Uh, sometimes the same ghost would be seen as wandering headless but sometimes with the head of a pig Mm -hmm. and is this head of a pig a symbol of you know the person's sins during their life or did something bad so now they need to wander with the face of an animal as punishment as as bringing shame to them and their name definitely probably seems to be that way with some cases sorry if Anne Boleyn is also seen sometimes with the head of a pig you do know that there were like two or three centuries worth of stories of pig-faced ladies in the UK and in France yes Oh, yeah, not just in in France and also America got a bunch of them, too. There's a a couple cases that I think it was in Monsters in Print of women of uh, people reporting to see pig women in clothing. There's also obviously in cryptozoology uh, reports such as the Northfield Pigman, which gets into the story of Sam Harris, who is supposedly a lunatic that runs around wearing a pig's head. Is that in Vermont? Yeah, yeah, there's there's two different versions of that story and one involves involves um, Sam Harris, uh, and that gets more into like a ghost legend as opposed to the cryptid legend, which is the one that most people are familiar with, where it's seen eating out of trash cans. But there is that um, secondary legend. But there's also tying back to this motif in Latin America and in Brazil of the headless mule. I think in Mexican folklore, you know, going northward, I can't remember the name, but there is a mythological woman, like somebody would approach her from behind thinking she's beautiful, and then she she'd turn her head around and she'd have the face of a mule or a horse or even a skull instead of her head. And then that goes into San Antonio, Texas with the donkey lady of San Antonio. Yeah. And also there, La Llorona too. There's a couple reports and stories of her by some people that have sent it in of Latin descent that they say that she also is supposed to have a horse or a mule face. There's a huge bunch of stories like that where people are reporting ghosts or monsters where it's it seems humanoid until or, you know, attractive, or there's some sort of lull, and then it's this barnyard version of it. I mean, even with, like, Goatman reports, it's something similar to that, too. Yeah, and then in Japan, you have the slit uh, mouth lady, mouth woman, which is a yep. different take. <laughs> yep, I was thinking that as you were saying about it uh, right away. I thought that we were going to get there, but yeah, that's more of a, a classic, almost ghost-type story, since, you know, there's no animal, really, except for just carved face on both mm-hmm. ends, usually. Okay, let's go back to chickens, man. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so, so 
uh, you told me that you found a case of uh, a group of ghost chickens somewhere, maybe in America. Yeah, that was in Wisconsin. That's um, in Chicken Alley. Basically, that's uh, the legend that I originally heard, even though I tried to follow up and do some more research on it after we originally were talking about this and seeing if I could trace where I heard this from was that a chicken truck capsized and that a bunch of ghost chickens, uh, you know, chickens were killed on the road. And now a bunch of ghost chickens supposedly haunt the location. Could not find that part of the legend anywhere on at least the internet. It might have been in an older book that I had as a kid, but, or I could have just been mixing it with another legend. But I did find Chicken Alley and there is a ton of people that to this day go there and uh, report <laughs> seeing ghost chickens on the road or they'll take, you know, photographs of, you know, orbs that are low to the ground and seemingly glowing white and they'll say that they're the ghost chickens. Come on, man. I I'm thinking now our favorite chicken farmer of Wisconsin Pancake Joe. Yes! <laughs> and I, I was going to ask, was Pancake Joe one of the guys visiting Chicken Alley where he, he saw UFOs, maybe? Well, I, I don't know. I mean, we know that he's more fond of pancakes as opposed to, you know, chicken and waffles. So, I mean, chicken and pancakes <laughs> would be good, but I, I would hope. I would hope somewhere at one point Pancake Joe Simonton went to Chicken Alley. I can only hope that. <laughs> Oh my god. Or at least the aliens that gave him the space pancakes did. <laughs> uh, that would be great. Yeah. Maybe they came to abduct the ghost chickens if people see orbs in the sky. <laughs> Yes, that's what it. That's that's the whole. Th or they caused the the accident, like in like if you go into Mothman territory, where it's the whole um, that mm -hmm. that Keel story about him finding the flattened dogs. Oh man! So the orbs were like so bright that that basically caused the calamity with the truck. Yep, and led yep. to the death of these chickens. Yep, and now they haunt there because you know a UFO couldn't turn off its brights so. and that and that's why these italian aliens uh, keep visiting chicken farmers in wisconsin to pay their respects <laughs> <laughs> yes listeners we have uh, solved the mystery of <laughs> pancake show oh yes i love this i love everything about this okay so since i said i know some animal facts i mean all of us know of um what what was it is it magic not it's not magical mike what was his name what ah mike mike the headless chicken oh i mean i'm about to say magic you went magic mike and i'm like the stripper <laughs> <laughs> talking about the stripper like the stripper movie uh, i can't I think remember that's what, what it is but oh you're talking about mike that yeah mike the headless chicken yeah he's a he's a ripley's attraction oh man i, I need to find it now i have to compose myself <laughs> miracle mike miracle mike miracle oh. mike yeah no i don't want to i don't want to imagine magic mike the headless chicken okay so i i'm on wikipedia <laughs> it says hatched instead of born <laughs> april 20th 1945 mm -hmm and died March 17th, 1947, mm -hmm. uh, aged 23 months. <laughs> <laughs> but the thing is, he ha he went through two deaths. So for those who do not know, uh, Mike the Headless Chicken or Miracle Mike was this chicken that was beheaded in Phoenix, Arizona, but they did not behead it properly. A part of its brain was still left and the chicken was left alive after beheading. Like he we can do a whole episode just about this thing, but it became a roadside attraction. Mm -hmm. They kept it alive by putting food into its uh, esophagus. Mm -hmm. uh, I think they ground up corn and yep. they put through an eyedrop uh, dispenser milk with water so it can drink. Yeah, it, it's it's a really cool little story there. And and it lived lived for 18 months after yes. it was beheaded. 
Yes. Wow. And then they ended up taxidermying him. I think they, they replicated a couple different chickens to be Mike because I've gone to a bunch of different Ripley's and I've definitely seen Mike at like three of them. Oh man, I, I've been to a Ripley's museum and they have like shrunken heads and we know that you can't keep human remains in museums. Mm-hmm. Obviously it's all wax figures. Yeah, yeah. Well, there's a couple different things that they allegedly say are the real human remains or whatever, but... And apparently in Frusha, Colorado, there is an annual Mike the Headless Chicken Day held every May. What? Why are the cryptid guys not going to these festivals? I don't know. I want to go to that festival. That sounds awesome. I mean, (laughs) you know, hey, I mean, the Squonk made a comeback. We need to reinvigor Mike. That I would love. There is a comedy punk band called the Radioactive Chicken Heads, and one of their songs is headless mike that is fantastic (laughs) oh my god i love it i love it so much i just love that so imagine a sideshow performance where it's headless mike but acting out the scene of magic mike (laughs) oh god no i mean (laughs) oh god that that definitely is a haunting image (laughs) Uh. okay let's go to something more jolly headless dogs that's more jolly but okay yeah, b- because i don't really like dogs i'm a cat person okay <laughs> okay i mean i got a couple there's a couple different encounters of headless dogs uh one like i i, I got to like i said earlier um is 10 minutes outside of my my work uh what wh- what are you guys serving over there where you work what are, what are we serving yeah. uh stuff i do not recommend for the most part <laughs> <laughs> the headless dog of the Susquehanna Valley is what this ghost became known as. And basically it is um, in Snyder County. Basically, I live in Northumberland County, but Snyder County is adjacent to us. That basically in this area, there's an area that has become known as the Bloody Triangle. And there's a lot of history to that area. A lot of Native American type legends and lore. Okay, I, I need to stop there. In a few months this summer, we're going to be having the documentary from Small Town Monsters and the book by Aaron Deese, the Texas Dogman Triangle. Yeah. But now we have the Pennsylvania Headless Dog Ghost Triangle as well. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) I actually had no idea about this until a couple weeks ago. I got a book from some locals called The Headless Dog and Other Extraordinary Far-Fetched True Tales of Central Pennsylvania. A lot of the stuff is stuff that I I know about, but the bloody triangle part, I did not know was even a thing until I actually read this book. And listeners, this is why if you are a podcaster, you should be friends with Cole because Cole, apart from being a living library, also has a giant library of all of these books I never heard of. Oh, yeah. I, well, I mean, it's, I've got so many books (laughs) to say the least and I'm still, and I'm always getting more and it always gives me something to look back on. But yeah, this one just came out. Well, it didn't just came out, but it came out, I guess in 2017 and I stumbled upon it and since it's all stuff that's close to home i it drew me in a little bit more like there's penn's tavern which is in here which is a place that i've been to a couple times um it's an old haunted restaurant that's pretty good food wise and also just to check out but the bloody triangle was an area that they mentioned in this book and they one of the big things is the story of this headless dog which basically is reported throughout the uh triangle however it's it tends to hang out at some specific spots specifically there's an area there's a big oak tree that this dog supposedly actually hangs out on top of and that occasionally it will jump down onto people. There was a report actually of a woman getting attacked by the ghost dog after she walked underneath the tree and that she reported feeling the ghost dog's paws around her neck and that once she finally managed to walk to her house, which was a short distance,
distance from the tree that the ghost dog's paws unlatched itself and that uh, it disappeared. Okay, so if, if this is an invisible dog that's attacking her, how does she know it's a headless dog? Well, it wasn't invisible. She saw a dark figure jump down from the trees mm. onto her. And basically others in the area reported seeing this ghost dog also in the trees or near the tree itself running um, across the road onto what is known as High Hill. But but you see, I, I'm imagining they just refer to this as a dog because that's the first thing that they can associate with it. But this is no dog, man. We know that dogs can't climb trees. Yep. This sounds more like the fairy dogs or the black shucks uh, of, you know, England or Ireland. Even Morgan Daimler on my show shared an encounter with a white, what she perceived as a fairy dog. And the thing with it was that it had one front leg, but yeah. it was coming from the center of its chest. Yeah, I remember I remember listening to your episode and hearing about that, and I thought that was wild. Um, mm. And it definitely makes sense. And uh, with th- that case in particular that's associated with the headless dog, like where it's jumping down from the tree and people seeing it there, that definitely seems it. However, there is a, a, a case that comes from Foster Creamer, who basically said that he encountered an actual legitimate headless ghost dog at the Fisher Schoolhouse in west of Rolling Green Park. And basically, he was waiting to out front of the the main doors of the building when he noticed a huge coal black dog without a head manifest in between him and a, a schoolmate and watched as the dog entered the school building and basically seemingly disappeared. His schoolmate actually ran all the way home after seeing this and Kramer actually went into the building to go look for the animal but couldn't find any evidence of it. So that one, that, that part of this headless ghost dog story is very similar to a traditional ghost dog and less like that of a the, the fairy hound type. But all these stories are interconnected as like one particular ghost dog. So it's possible it could be separate things or the same thing. And when I was doing research into headless ghost dogs, I found some in the UK and there was this photo from the early 1900s showing two ladies drinking tea uh, around a table and in the corner there's this blur that's said to be a headless ghost dog. Oh yeah? What was yeah. was that one of the ones that you sent me? Because I don't remember. I think it was. Uh, let me see. So I know that you know you sent me the one about the Londonberry headless bull terrier. Okay, so it says the ghost dog of Tinjewick. This photo has recently popped up in popular media once again as part of an article in the Huffington Post on ghosts featuring a haunted mirror that recently sold on eBay. I had seen the photo before, but seen it mentioned again, blah, 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 blah. Okay, it looks like this is a photo that's shared on the web, um, on blogs and forums, and I don't know if it is an actual photo. It's said to be recorded in August of 1916 by Arthur Springer, a retired member of the Criminal Investigations Department, now commonly referred to as Scotland yards. Okay. Photograph of two ladies having tea while a maid looks on. At the time of the photo, the dog, which some say appears to be a golden retriever or possibly some type of long hair hound, was allegedly not seen by the ladies, and some sites go on further to claim that Mrs. Townsend did not own such a dog. Hmm. I, I mean, I, I see now when I zoom into the photo, it does look like a headless dog. Huh. <laughs> I'll send you the photo later. Yeah, I don't. Yeah, I don't think I got that in the in the chat. Yeah, I'd be, yeah, that's interesting. Ghost dogs are fairly common in general. Like, obviously, we, we talked about um, the shucks and the fairy hounds and things like that. And then there's also just in general, ghost headless dogs are fairly common. Um, in West Virginia, there's a couple different cases. One being the the headless dog 
blog of uh, Dog Rock, which is in Robinson Hollow, West Virginia. And in that case, there is a man by the name of Clem Robinson who owned uh, an old hound that the two went hunting, fox hunting specifically. And Clem was always known for his temper and his anger. And that one day while out hunting, uh, the dog caught the scent of a rabbit's trail and the uh, dog went and chased after it. Clem hollered for his dog and the animal basically ignored all of his calls and that led Clem to go into a rage. Uh, the dog ended up returning then to its owner um, without even the rabbit that it went after. And Clem, in this rage, proceeded to break a piece of log. Listeners, I am censoring this for very, very obvious reasons. This is a very fucked up story. Very, very gruesome and graphic. I mean, it's a headless dog ghost, so just imagine what this guy did to the dog. Fuck him. What a fucking piece of shit. Listeners, trigger warning, animal cruelty. Yeah. After the facts. Uh, I mean, but if anybody's listening to a whole fucking episode about headless animals, I mean, come on. Yeah, def. I mean, it is definitely not okay, but we're dealing with, with ghost animals. Yeah, I, I messaged a uh, friend now earlier before recording. I told him, hey, I'm doing an opposite ep- episode about headless ghost animals, and he was very sad by that. And he's a vegan, and he loves animals. He even owns a dog that he loves so much. He was really sad. Like, why would you guys do such a topic? And I'm, I'm thinking because it's fun. <laughs> and now yeah. I see that it's not very fun because we're talking about ghosts. So obviously, dead animals and if they're headless the implications man yeah but basically after the head was removed the body actually rolled down to the creek sometimes later clem was in the area and he saw the ghost of the dog running from one side of the hill down to the creek and onto the other side of the hill and in a positive note it was noted that basically this sighting affected him so much that he decided to change his ways and would never hurt animals anymore poor man i feel so bad for him oh i know i know like (laughs) really like you kind of want the dog to like get its head back or have a floating one and then like chew him to death or something but yeah yeah it's the same with people yeah you know you murder a person and then you feel bad and everybody just needs to forgive you (laughs) uh man people allegedly to this day still report seeing the ghost dog running down the hill in the creek and that they even named the area a bit after it by calling it dog rock so yeah i i think that's very sweet like it's a ghost dog case and usually people are creeped out by ghosts that's the scary aspect but here the scary aspect is humanity and mm-hmm. the ghost serves as a reminder and you know just naming a place after the dead dog that's pretty sweet a lot of the times with these animals that the, when they do have uh, suffered a fate from humans it's like 90 percent of the time in these ghost cases you do feel bad for the animals or it's like the there's more of a we name the area after the animal or that they're not cases that are particularly violent or things like that and they are the more tragic types of stories yeah i i perceive it as you know the animals like even with these slaughterhouse cases that we talked about earlier it's like these are projections images whatever to induce this ecological guilt just uh, the the ghost is presenting to us what we are doing to the animals mm-hmm. i was getting somewhere and i forgot now where i wanted to go oh man ah i had something cool to say and i forgot no This is why it's always fun to do an episode without a script or without notes. 
<laughs> Losing my head in the process. Okay, until I remember, um, I'm going to go into some more animal facts. Okay. Um, when you search up animals which can live without their head, you find, let's say, frogs. Mm -hmm. uh, I have witnessed the decapitation of multiple <laughs> numbers of frogs during my life and of salamanders as well because I studied biology. Now, when people say that frogs can live without their heads, what they actually mean is what we actually do as biological students in college, the galvanoscopic frog legs experiment. Oh, okay. Yeah, where you decapitate a frog and because it has these reflex centers in its spine, its body still reacts to stimuli. Um, mm. So when you decapitate it, you activate the reflex centers of the spine. There is no more brain there. Uh, so the reactions are much quicker now. So let's say you would get rid of two legs, uh, mm -hmm. detach them from the body, leave the nerves there, and then you can play around with the nerves. You can stimulate uh, the nerve with salt and you'd see the leg or the fingers of the leg move. Mm -hmm. Or you can, say, cross the two nerves over each other, stimulate one leg and watch the other leg uh, react. I've definitely, I've, I've seen that actually done. I forget what class it was because I'd taken a couple different biology classes and they had done that before. Mm -hmm. Now, oh, this is where I was getting at. So I also witnessed on numerous occasions chickens getting beheaded. I mean, I, I assume you did as well as a guy who is in a rural setting. Um, I mean, I've never actually lived on a farm, but mm -hmm. I've hunted. So I've had to remove the heads of like pheasants and turkeys and things. Okay. Do, do they also like uh, run around, uh, hop in loops and whatever without their head? Well, this is wild game hunting. So the animals were already shot before and it was more the, okay. the cleaning. The cleaning okay and the... okay okay yeah so i mean unfortunately i live in a fucked up country i had a fucked up grandfather who when i was like eight years old brought me to, to the farm to witness this Shit. Okay. I, I witnessed the slaughtering of pigs and whatnot, but most often him taking a, an axe to the head of mm -hmm. a chicken and then yeah. just throwing the body of the chicken to go play around. And yeah, it's like a whole display. I, I remember it now. And just like what I was going at with the ghosts, it's like a display of look what you are doing to me, the theatrics of it, mm -hmm. of, of the aftermath of killing the animal. And with the ghosts, it's like you kill the animal and you think it's all done with. You know, yeah. you, you leave the chickens to hop for five minutes and then they're totally dead. But with the ghost, it's like you are perpetually witnessing the aftermath of mm -hmm. your destruction. Oh, yeah. Well, that definitely seems to be just the whole point of even ghosts in general is whether it's to convey a message or to literally witness the manner of which they were killed, which is what a lot of ghosts seem to be doing, or to collect a piece of themselves, which is something mm -hmm. you see a lot of the time in ghost cases. Like um, with headless ghosts, oftentimes, you know, the, the, the legends is always oh they're still looking for their head to this day or their arm or whatever and it's almost like there's something to that too to some extent. Yeah but, but if you see a headless human ghost you do not have the feeling I did this to that person. No. But when you see a headless animal you do have that feeling kind of. You know it's conveying a similar message but I, I think it's more effective seeing the ghost of an animal with this type of trauma that is usually induced by a human hand. That definitely would make sense and definitely is the case and it could explain to why these ghosts in these locations that now we've talked about earlier, like the Johnstown cow or the Adamstown cow, or not cow, but pigs, how once the slaughterhouse
houses were shut down that the apparitions seemed to dissipate or you know even after the fact once the building was totally gone completely that you don't get reports as much and i mean if these are rural areas you can assume that a lot of the people around the slaughterhouse are actually employees of the slaughterhouse Mm -hmm. so the people who would be witnessing these ghost animals would be people who are directly linked either directly they work there or their relative works there so they know the stories they are essentially covered in the blood of the slaughterhouse every single day Mm -hmm. metaphorically yeah or not metaphorically as would probably be the case (laughs) or probably would not be the or you know it's not like now where we have the the gun so to speak the bolt gun back then they they probably would have used a sledge so a sledge Mm. and an axe and it's very different the old timey way like what i was saying my grandfather taking an axe to chicken's head is more personal you are personally killing the animal for food but with the slaughterhouse it's like mass murder of animals Mm -hmm. and you're murdering animals that you're not even going to consume so it's not personal it's very impersonal so this whole spiritual exchange that needs to go on if you are killing an animal for food and for survival you're not doing that in a slaughterhouse so this energy needs to find its way back to you somehow this karmic thing so maybe that's what's you know manifesting the ghost i mean and that totally makes sense too because it's interesting that of all the ghost animals that are reported out there very few tend to be like wild animals like deer yeah because it's it's the hunters who are personally killing the deer and personally Mm -hmm. going through the trauma of doing that Mm-hmm. It's not always an emotionless, cold-blooded thing like no. in slaughterhouses. No, no. And also, that I mean, um, obviously, there's a great debate when it comes to hunting, you know, the, the, the moral sense of it, especially when people do point to the slaughterhouses and things like that. Yeah, I mean, dude, I think PETA will totally love this episode. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, PETA supports Texas Chainsaw Massacre, so I mean, they say that that's a, a animal-friendly film, and that, that actually is Google. It is worth a Google, but, so I mean, who knows? But what, what I'm saying, though, is it's like there's that whole morality sense of when you hear about these cases, there is that more, it's almost like mass carnage with these slaughterhouses, as we've been stating. And then when you get to, like, the hunter, like, um, ghosts of that should be caused by people hunting, it just doesn't seem to occur unless it's, like, mass ghosts. Like, um, people report ghosts of wolves for example in places where they're extinct uh like the hull werewolf or old stinker yep mm. and that's because or you know um mountain lion even though a lot of people will say that they're seeing flesh and blood animals we're still getting mountain lion reports in places where they're supposedly extinct in those locations yeah but also we sometimes have ghost animals which could be actually flesh and blood like the ghost moose in maine yes which could totally be an albino moose yes and that's always what it seemed to be at least with that case so it's interesting the different comparative the only time that it would seem that we get the ghosts of like wild animals is if we did something heinous to them like um like we mentioned a little bit earlier like the ghost bear of uh, in the bloody tower where you know more than likely that was a bear that was put into one of the bear pits and killed by people for sport or yeah. something that i can bring up which i know we talked about a little bit is the idea of haunted taxidermy of animals that seemingly are of this just killed for the sake of being killed there's a lot like i mentioned ghost wolves and mountain lions there's a ton of cases in pa that were collected of just people that killed mountain lions and wolves and then now uh, the taxidermy either comes to life or causes haunting similarly related to it okay man just imagine a mounted t-rex in a museum coming to life oh <laughs> that would be that would be something well i doubt that will happen because most of the skeletons in the museums are just replicas you know replicas. <laughs> they're not gonna <laughs> display the real fossils that's true <laughs> 
Man, that would be something, though. I would love to see that, just seeing... Fun facts, guys. So when I was a child, I had this, I don't know what it's called, uh, Scholastic Learning and Creativity Center, something like that, an edutainment game for the PC when I was a kid. And it was just like a program that teaches kids to read and write, and you'd write stories and put sound effects and blah, blah, blah. And I was uh, writing stories of myself as a paranormal investigator. (laughs) And one of the stories I had was of a T-Rex skeleton that was brought back to life by a lightning bolt in a museum, and I was like investigating that. And then years later, Night at the Museum comes out, and I'm like, hey, they stole my idea. (laughs) That's awesome. Yeah. Oh, man. That's something, though, that... I would love to see. I would love to see somebody come forward and, and claim that they've seen like the ghost of a prehistoric animal outside of it being. Oh, I think there is a ghost uh, mammoth. A ghost mammoth? Mm. Oh, wait, that's right. That's right. That's right. So imagine that uh, fuckuppery, like our ancestors from prehistory killed a mammoth. Mm-hmm. And now it's seeking its revenge on us. Like so many million years after. Oh, man, that that is Okay, uh, another fun fact from my bio- biology brain. Uh, we oftentimes think that if we behead a poisonous snake, that it cannot bite us, mm-hmm. which is totally wrong. The beheaded mm-hmm. heads can bite you and inject venom into you. Um, and I see that as pretty badass and metal. It's like oh, <laughs> the animal taking its revenge on us. Apparently, this can happen with snapping turtles. If you behead the snapping turtle's head, it can still snap your fingers off. Yeah, see, I, I totally can see that. Even though, literally, when you said that, all I thought of was I had like nom flashbacks to Cannibal Holocaust a bit. But um, mm-hmm. I'm like, oh, actually, I would have preferred to have seen that in that movie. Honestly, where they the fucking where, where the turtle gets its revenge because that's horrifying what they did to yeah. that. And that's coming. And the monkey from, scenes are even. Uh. I I don't know. I mean, the monkeys are bad, but the turtle though. There's something about that that I'm like, no, that's just okay. But he, hear me out. So I'm thinking they probably ate the turtle after that, and they well, probably. Well, I mean, the monkeys. The monkey scene actually. The, portrays the cannibals eating the brain of the monkey afterwards. Yeah, well, that's the whole thing, is everything that Ruggiero Deodato said about with that movie is that all the animals that they killed in that, that actually were ate by the tribes and the people involved, but... Ugh. Yeah, um, but eating monkeys, I always felt, isn't that kind of cannibalistic? It ties into the movie. It, it is. <laughs> it, it definitely is. Ugh. But I know, like, when you go into the story of Diane Fossey, uh, who was living with the gorillas in Africa and mm-hmm. protecting them, there was this whole, you know, group of poachers that murdered her. These poachers were killing the gorillas because uh, souvenirs were made out of their hands and feet and whatnot. Yeah. But also, like, people were actually eating gorilla meat. How fucked up is that? I don't know why you'd even want to kill a gorilla. They're so cool. I just... I know that like they they really go after the albino ones too, where like that's like oh, but that that ties into muti killings. You know what that is? Wow, this episode is so fucked up. Now we're talking about muti killings. So muti killings are in some African countries uh, when an albino person is born. Oh yes, I know. They okay. seek out to kill the child to sell their organs as you know magical medicines. Yeah, my God, this is a cheery episode. Oh. Mm. Yeah, man, I forgot all about that. That is... (laughs) Oh, man, all the trigger warnings I'm going to provide. 
Yeah, we. Oh. And what's funny, like the people will not have be having a problem with us talking about you know killing of humans. <laughs> Most people will have problems uh, with the dog story. Yeah, definitely. I mean, well, that's because that's just you can picture that. Like everything else is kind of ambiguous a little bit. I mean, the slaughterhouse things too. People will probably they can see that in their head a little bit about how that would go down. But man, just when you when you hear about things like that, it's just horrendous images mm. that are meant to make you just feel sick oh yeah I, it's a topic that i wanted to talk about and i want to do a whole episode also about shrunken heads and that whole business oh, okay um, but like that will be so controversial man <laughs> oh yeah but i mean it definitely would be interesting to say the least okay let's go to more jolly topics from my biology brain there okay. is something called the ant decapitating fly <laughs> the ant decapitating fly yeah there are many species that can parasitize on many different species of ants but most famously the fire ants okay and they're now being looked into as a way to kind of control fire ant populations so essentially the fly lays its eggs into the body of a fire ant the larva when hatch when it hatches a moves its way into the head of the ant where it spends two weeks feeding off the body fluids in the head. Uh, the ant doesn't know what's going on. Okay. Then it starts controlling the behavior of the ant after this two-week period when it needs to pupate. It sends the ant crawling under piles of leaves where it's where there's a lot of moisture. Now, usually when ants have to die, they go into a very dry place because this is an instinctual way of preventing fungi from growing out of the body of the ant. So, you know, the ant goes to die in a very dry place so it does not infect the rest of the colony. Okay. But this larva sends this ant intentionally oh. under leaves where it's moisture. And then it releases a chemical that dissolves the membranes that are holding the ant's head attached to its body and the ant's head falls off with the larva inside. Okay. The larva eats the brain and all the contents inside the head and you have this whole exoskeleton of the head acting as a kind of incubation chamber for the larva it pupates its butt becomes uh, very hard and acts as a lid that's pointed towards the mouth of the ant so once it's a pupa nothing can get inside its head which it's using as an incubator and after it the adult fly comes out of the pupa it crawls out of the mouth of the ant and just flies away man <laughs> nature is every time nature just amazes me because of just how the new ways it comes up with just truly incredible and haunting things yes oh man what i like always about that story apart from like it causing the ant to essentially behead itself but it's using the head as an incubator how mm -hmm. fucking metal is that oh that is incredible it's like uh, the thing you know when, when oh that yeah thing emerges from the head of the guy yeah oh that's freaking awesome i love how this whole episode devolved um just, just like the movie the thing yeah just trans <laughs> transformed just they think they're transformed saving a into a giant pile of mess and a clusterfuck i don't know even what we're talking about now i remember that you had a case of a headless bunny if i'm not mistaken yeah but then that got into um uh, it was a witch legend then i ended up running into so that one was i think it was just like a blurb and i'm like try i was trying to find some more onto it and then it led into just a, a witch legend that was just a brief thing that, the, that it was the ghost of a witch that transformed itself into that of a headless rabbit and could be seen hopping around the British countryside. So very Bell Witch-like, but from England. And uh, what, why Bell Witch-like? I know there's a dog with a human head in the Bell Witch story. Is that maybe like the witch turning into the dog? Well, there's also a rabbit associated with the... Oh, yes, yes. 
Yeah. Or was it a dog with a rabbit's head, something like that? Oh, I couldn't tell you. I'm not an expert on the Bell Witch by any means. And yet you uh, chat with Heather Mosier. <laughs> yeah, we just yeah we just started chatting. So and it's been really interesting and a lot of fun. So yeah, I uh, I don't care that this is on here. So I told her about the wood eating goose grabber. <laughs> Mm-hmm. <laughs> and she loved the story and i told her hey uh, cool dug that up and she was interested in that mm-hmm. that's actually how we started talking so yeah yeah uh was was obscure pa cryptids and then it got into headless ghosts in pa and then that got into the headless cow yeah and then that's pretty much how we started talking to say the least and i i really li- love that story and how you c- came upon it because you were looking into this journal newsletter about bigfoot sightings i read it so there's this whole chapter about bigfoot sightings and you know reading it you think okay it's just the standard bigfoot shenanigans mm-hmm. but then in the middle of the article out of nowhere is this weird ass thing oh yeah well that's it's I, they were trying to tie it in with i think like the 73 stuff where that was like when um the big ufo bigfoot wave hit pa and ironically ironically enough i did a prior episode with ufo bigfoot shane of dark notes podcast mm-hmm. and i read your goose grabber story to him in the episode <laughs> Oh yeah, that's right. I love how how everything is tied together. Oh yes. So that was uh that was the whole reason for that being in there, I'm pretty sure. And even like uh, in some of the the written sources that are out there that did include it, it was always lumped in as like a Bigfoot type creature, but it has horns and all sorts of other things involved that I'm like that does not sound like a Bigfoot. So, super fun story though. I love it. Okay, man, I think like we both lost our heads with this episode. <laughs> I I don't even know what 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 I'm going to be doing with this and how I'm going to it's ah, uh, but let, let's say this episode is now dead. Like it's it's a rotting, decaying corpse at this point. Okay, sorry, sorry, listeners, if you stayed until this end. But um, let's try to revive it, uh, make something beautiful out of it. Uh, taxidermy. So, can you share maybe some stories of these taxidermies that came to life? Okay, yeah, sure, sure. Let's go with so in 1864, a mountain lion uh, was killed by a hunter near Centerville which is in Snyder County. This hunter then, after getting the creature processed and taxidermied, put the animal, for whatever reason, on his roof. It stayed there for a couple of days until the mountain lion's mate noticed that basically... uh, it's, what? Yeah, the mountain lion's mate. Okay, is the taxidermy a male or a female? Uh, it didn't state um, mm. in in the source because I'd be interested. I, I don't like I don't like where this is going, man. <laughs> I know, but but wait for it. It doesn't get that graphic. The mountain lion's mate jumped up onto the roof and noticed that this was the remains of its uh lover proceeded to carry it to the forests around Jack's mountains where somehow by some supernatural ability it came back to life and reports of it were seen in the area shortly in Troxelville which is also in Snyder County there's also another mountain lion skin that came to life that now stalks the forest of the White Mountains and unlike the other one where it's a full taxidermied specimen this is just a skin that literally walks around Snyder the the forest wow that's beautiful man I, I really love that especially the the story of the mountain lion the partner of the mountain lion to, taking it back to the forest where it's mm-hmm. revived it sounds like an indigenous legend in a way it very much so yeah that one was collected a lot of these living taxidermy uh, cases were collected by um henry shoemaker who is really big in pa he was one of like the first folklorists that went around and collected a lot of these stories and a lot of them are you know old folk tales but then he also 
also was like doing a lot of legitimate like collecting from first person eyewitness observers like he's got entire books out on like thunderbird sightings and that was one of his big things he did a little bit on the squawk act a couple different things along those lines that was something that i stumbled across is that he did also cover um these mountain lions that basically were taxidermied and they came to life and he stumbled across a couple of them another one which occurred on christmas eve 1868 uh by hunter lewis dorman who shot a mountain lion on shriner mountain again this is also in snyder county so apparently that was just a big thing which i know was a big thing that people would shoot anything like that for predatory reasons or just to get it mounted after having the animal mounted he proceeded to donate the animal to a museum in new berlin where it was said to leave its glass case at night and prowl the building people would then say that this mountain lion would hunt and kill mice in the museum and that it continued to do this until the animal was moved to albright college where it now resides which that reminds me of the x-files episode a little bit yeah tezo does bishos which yep. is uh one of the worst episodes of the x-files oh yeah <laughs> Definitely, definitely it is. But when I when I was coming across that, that's exactly what I, what what came to mind. I'm thinking whatever n- next movie of Toy Story, they should <laughs> set it in that museum where oh, taxidermied yes. animals are coming to life. Oh, I'd love that actually. That'd be pretty cool. But I, I think there is something very powerful, like these stories of why are there so many stories of mountain lion taxidermies coming to life? Because having the taxidermy of a mountain lion, which is you know endangered and very rare, is a very powerful thing. A very powerful. Mm-hmm. object so i don't know maybe we can see the skin of uh thylacine you know a tasmanian wolf mm-hmm. <laughs> coming to life a century after it went extinct that's something i'm actually would be interested in looking into now come to think of it because like we talked about you know with like the uh the whole old stinker and now with these mountain lions like this collective guilt of killing and wiping out a, a species in a given yes. area okay i actually interviewed richard freeman the cryptozoologist oh yeah who, yeah who is studying the thylacine uh, sightings in Tasmania. Oh, and awesome. I asked him because he does believe that some cryptids are tulpas, like the hull werewolf. We even talked about that. But uh, as for the, the thylacine, he has, for him, very, you know, uh, verified eyewitness accounts. And when mm-hmm. he was in Tasmania, he felt the stench of a hyena. He mm-hmm. used to be a zookeeper and he knows what kind of stench that is. And the people a century ago who were killing the thylacines, per their statements of a century ago, uh, they state that the thylacine sign smelled like a hyena that is awesome because these were the same people who were out at war prior in africa during colonization Mm -hmm. okay so at this point, after the war, they were in Tasmania eradicating the thylacines and were saying that it emitted the stench of a hyena. Okay, that's awesome. But so he's very much in the camp that this isn't people seeing like ghosts of the thylacine or something like no, that. But, but he but, is in the camp that the hull werewolf is a talpa because of okay. the collective guilt. All right. And his his theory there is because the old timey accounts of werewolves were not, you know, a human with a wolf's head. So mm-hmm. obviously that's uh, not something folkloric because folklore does not have those types of cans and obviously it's not biological so what mm-hmm. could it be other than some kind of talpa because mm-hmm. it does not match up with folklore nor does it match up with biology all right that definitely makes a lot of sense to say the least well do you want to hear about a case of a uh, a haunted uh, skeleton um donkey Sure. (laughs) I guess. So a little backstory. Okay. So one of the biggest colleges in PA is Penn State. Okay. And this also ties into the mountain lions a little bit. Now their mascot is a mountain lion. Okay. But it used to not always be. When the school was first opened, their mascot was a donkey, which they 
called Old Coley because back in the day, this donkey was a pack mule that worked in the limestone quarries. And basically, it became the mascot of the uh, Democrats. Well, <laughs> I mean, yes, a little bit. But basically, he also became the mascot of the school. It was unofficial at first. And that basically, they kept this donkey then after it was done working at the quarry at the school, where it was used to help with landscaping and constructions. And basically, they were required to work with the students were required to work with this donkey as a class requirement. But the students, of course, would also do pranks on the donkey. And one of the favorite pranks perpetrated by the students was to take the donkey up to the old mains bell tower and leave him there for a few hours before bringing him down again it was sort of a cruel joke to the animal and the students would continue to do this until the animal died on january 1st 1893 but it was because of natural causes and not because of one of the pranks of the students now the donkey was preserved and its skeleton was kept on display in the old main building uh, until it burned down in the 1900s but they were able to save the bones from there, the bones were moved to the basement of Watts Hall and put in storage, and then they were uh, moved to the attic of the old Penn State Veterinary Hospital, uh, at which they were used as teaching tools um, in the zoology classes. Now, during that time period, people would start reports seeing a mule standing outside the storage room, and that they would hear braying sounds and hoofbeats around the buildings. It also would occasionally appear in the area of the bell tower, almost as though it missed the attention some people would say or would miss the location but and this would go on for some times until the uh the bones were again moved to the old main building um and then later the agricultural building man i'm thinking of all of these stories and i like find myself relating more with these animal ghosts than ever with human ghosts and i've said on my podcast many times i am not very interested in ghost stories i find them very boring mm -hmm. but these are fascinating to me because they're animals i don't know it's if it's because i'm a biologist but i find them more relatable <laughs> in a way. I get that. I totally get that. It's like I, I told you, like literally I love animal ghost stories. I actually prefer them, like I said, more than human ones. And even when it comes to the boots on the ground stuff that I do, I got bored of ghosts. But animal ghosts have always intrigued me because there's so many types. There's so interesting, you know, and it's also something that I, I would, you know, would rather hang out with, say, a ghost bull or an alley full of chicken ghosts than, you know, somebody that's old and, you mm. know, haunting some location. And, and it's also like uh, these animals were innocent during their life. They died by, you know, not like humans doing something bad uh, or sinning or whatever. An animal can't do anything bad or sin. It's mm -hmm. not a human. So obviously, uh, the way it died traumatically is by human hands. So it's kind of even in the afterlife, it still keeps conveying this this guilt in us. Mm -hmm. um, and that's why it's more relatable than if I see a human ghost. But because oftentimes I'm like, who gives a shit? Uh, you, you deserved it, <laughs> especially <laughs> if it's the ghost of somebody bad. Oh, yeah, definitely. I mean, for me, it's also just the fact that it's almost like animal goat. Like I said, with, with the whole innocence thing, it's also the reason I think people really get attached to 
like ghost children and things like that. You always hear about that being a common thing that people are into. And yeah. for me, animal ghosts are more interesting even than that, even though it's it's because it's it conveys the same ideologies. You know, here's something that, you know, was at one point alive, you know, it was led all of its life and then it suffered some fate or, you know, what or even died at like a natural cause. But it doesn't it isn't something that could potentially be malicious on its own accord for the most part. And also in the human world, it's taken for granted that everybody is an individual, a person for themselves. And we oftentimes treat animals as animals. You like Pokemon, the games. Oh, yeah. And like the types of people who would never name their Pokemon. You know, every Pikachu is a Pikachu. You never name the Pokemon. So it's like you are treating this individual as just a component of its whole species, not as an individual identity, a personality of its own. But uh, the aspect of animals having a ghost gives that animal a personality because mm-hmm. nobody will ever remember or even document the history of an individual animal unless it's something very, very, you know, popular and eventful. Just how many animals live and die that go get forgotten in the annals of history. Nobody ever documents them as individuals. Mm-hmm. But with the ghost story, that allows us to do such a thing. Exactly. And that's something that, again, I, I also love about these animal ghost stories is that even though it's like with some of them like old Coley like for example there is this complete backstory and history of it and so it's interesting that you can do you could somebody could write like a historical paper about the life of old Coley and then it's haunting thereafter and it'd be up there with say Blackbeard or something like that yeah but but the thing is you would be writing the history of this animal but rather using the animal as a beacon to write about the histories of the people who were associated with the animal because there's not much to write about the life of the animal itself it's more of all all the people who you know had some kind of relationship with the animal and go from there that's true uh I don't know. It, it's for me. It's the it's the whole. If animals could write their own stories, it would be incredible. And so, ghost animals to me intrigue me by that point because it's like almost like I didn't have the chance to do it in life, but here I am now having all these wacky, zany, you know, sort of encounters and stories that are being remembered. And people yes. can and people can kind of be like, oh well, I remember you know such and such had a cat, and it's like, oh well, nobody gives a crap about him, you know. But we want to hear more about this cat. Oh, my friend Barbara Fisher. The host of Six Degrees of John Keel has or had, I don't know if she still has two ghost cats in her house. Really? Yeah. Oh, that's awesome. And she does does get uh, accounts from people in the town she lives in asking her about ghost animals in their house and whether that's a normal thing or not. Hmm. See, that's awesome. See, I love just the stories of that. I, I often hate how whenever I do stumble across like a cool ghost animal thing, it's always like a blurb or something along those lines. Like, oh, here's, you know, the such and such a location. And it's like most of it's this like, oh, it was haunted by, you know, Duke Ellingston or whatever. And then you're like, oh, but by the way, it's also haunted by like a ghost cat or a ghost pig or something along those lines. And I'm like, well, I want to know more about that. I see ghost stories, and I've said this quite often, as history trying to lure us into telling its own story for itself. Why would it be perpetually luring us to tell the story of this duke who already has so much history and books written about him? Mm-hmm. Why do we need the ghost of a duke? Who cares? That, yeah. That's why I can't relate with ghosts of such you know famous people. But this ghost animal idea is like history is trying 
trying to tell the story of a personality that was forgotten, the personality being the animal, that we would otherwise never learn of if not for the ghosts. And I love that. I actually really love that idea. I love how we made such a beautiful thing from the dead, decaying, atrocious corpse of this episode. (laughs) (laughs) Oh... Oh man, I, yeah. I mean, it's there's something about these stories in general that are just beautiful in general, and it, and I'm and it's something that unfortunately people don't really talk about as much, which I think that they definitely should. Definitely glad to talk about this in some of the cases because there's definitely there's scads more. Oh yeah, man. I I just love how I provided you a platform to nerd out about a cool topic that you love so much. Ever <laughs> since I heard you express on Todd's show that you love ghost animals. I'm like, I need to do this with you, but I don't know how because it's such a huge topic. And then you send me the ghost cow without a head. And I'm like, yes, this is what we're going to talk about. Uh, <laughs> but also, I, I just love how we had fun. We had fun. We shared cool stories. We oh, laughed. I don't know what this episode is going to be like or how I'm going to edit it, but I had fun. Uh, this was very relaxing for me and such a cool experience and inspirational. Like I feel like seeking out those books now and reading them. Oh, yeah, definitely. There's like I said, there's so many coolly counters out there that are just in odd books like um elliot o'donnell's animal hauntings it's also or animal hauntings and the hereafter as he does he's there's tons in there there's an encounter about a serial killer ghost orangutan there's um yeah it's there's so many there's a story about a wiener dog that you know was was killed by a man and it actually led its owner to like the home where its body was like uh, there's a man with like ghost poodles that walked around there was a there's a home that's haunted by a baboon and a cat in it i know there's a ghost of an elephant story as well yeah well there's there's a couple there's a there's a uh, there was one where there was like a circus that a whole bunch of circus performers died and like all their animals and so they built like a memorial to it in like the shape of an elephant and like you can hear like the trumpeting of elephants and like the stomping of, uh, around the grave that reminds me of jumbo the elephant from pt barnum yeah w- wasn't there a story i don't know if it's jumbo the elephant or some other elephant that stood in front of a train i think that was him and died i think that was him and then of course there's the the infamous topsy the elephant which was electrocuted by by fucking edison yeah yep yeah that's some bullshit and i I know that story because i'm serbian and so was nikola tesla despite what americans want to say and despite what nikola tesla wanted to say because he fled from our country because we're a pile of uh, of dickheads uh fled to america to to become an american and live the american dream Mm. as he lived yeah but i know that story because we often talk about it uh tesla is a beacon of Serbian pride for us, even though he hated our guts. <laughs> but like we oftentimes like to talk about a uh, shit on Edison and how he stole Tesla's ideas and that story of how he was electrocuting an elephant publicly mm-hmm. to show how Tesla's alternating current was bad. Yeah. Well, his, Edison's direct current was amazing. Yeah. Uh, mm. Yeah. The New Jersey, you know, I think actually does have like a, a placard in the, or like a remembrance of sort of thing thing for it yeah no that was some more shit that didn't need to go down but i'm surprised actually there's no tops of the elephant ghost sightings i don't think there is that'd be interesting i'd have to look into that come to think of it but there's tons of cases out there like that of animal ghosts of all sorts and shapes and sizes in all sorts of different locations and they are to me far more interesting than any of the classic ghost encounters that are out there man we should have a haunted zoo ah, imagine zach douchebaggins uh, going to a haunted zoo and and just going come at me tiger <laughs> and then getting scratched yes 
Oh my god. Oh, it would be like 13 ghosts meets freaking Zach Baggins. Oh, yeah. And that is that would be uh something cuz I mean, I any anything where it's like that against Zach Baggins, I would totally be down. You know, you just see him like get trampled or something. And you know, you know those marine lands and other zoos but for marine animals where they abuse the orcas. Oh, like SeaWorld, yeah. Yeah, like if anybody saw Blackfish. So with all that misery towards the orcas, there should be an orca ghost somewhere. Yeah, I don't think I've ever heard of anything like that. Mm. Oh, there is a Japanese ghost whale that's yeah. like oh, yeah. a rotting, rotting carcass yeah. of a whale with its skeleton exposed. That's right. Yeah, that thing is awesome. The the images for it are great. I you know, and it's supposed to be actually literally the ghost of a whale, like and caused by like the mass extinction of or not mass extinction, but the mass killing of whales. Again, ecological guilt because the Japanese have this tradition of whaling, mm-hmm. and now they have this folkloric monster, which is a personification of the ecological guilt uh, due to their their own tradition, and it's not present in various other cultures which did not have that tradition. Yeah, man, I'm, I'm going to have to look into more <laughs> aquatic ghosts. I mean, I know like um, I was very disappointed because we have in PA the world uh, North America's oldest zoo, which is the Philadelphia Zoo. And in one of the books that I have, it's all about Philadelphia haunts and the zoo is included. And so I thought, oh, you know, there's going to be like ghosts of like panthers or something along those lines. And no, it's it's people. And I was so disappointed by that. I wanted someone to be like, oh, you know, the ghost of um, one of our local animals passed away and that it's trying to reach out out from beyond the grave you know to talk but it's all people but i'm gonna have to look into more zoos you need to be wary of those uh, tourist guides or pamphlets from these uh, tourist destinations so i had who i referred to at the time as ghost girl cat on my show talking about some of her childhood experiences Mm -hmm. and uh, when she was in quebec in canada as a girl uh, as part of the school they went to a prominent ski resort in quebec and there the kids saw a bigfoot thing in the distance while cross-country skiing. And they told the people who own the ski resort and they did not believe them. The next year, they went back to the ski resort and now those tourist guides were telling the visitors all about a ghost that haunts the woods of the ski resort. They don't want to say it's a Bigfoot, but they rather uh, couch it as a ghost. Really? Yeah. I I remember the episode, but... Yeah, just imagine how many ghost stories that you hear which appear very mundane to you are just watered-down high strangest stories like even fred anderson who i had on Mm -hmm. he is a swedish tv producer of a big reality Mm -hmm. tv show of ghost hunters but oftentimes you know they just record the ghost stuff but oftentimes uh, when they stopped recording the people who saw the ghosts start talking about aliens and gnomes and trolls and all of these other cool things they're just using the ghost as a gateway to open discussion about weird stuff Mm mm-hmm well, that's that's how it always usually is with those cases. I mean, like like I've when you talk like there's um a couple different things that Stan Gordon has written about extensively where it's like the people will talk to him about one thing and then that one thing turns into however many other things that oh it isn't just seeing a cryptid but they'll experience poltergeist activity afterwards or something along those lines. So yes, but with the with the ghost books, like I said, a lot of the times they're like regional collectors of stories or something along those lines. But if, if it's watered, uh, that's why I prefer like the more weird 
harder stuff, like I said, like Elliot O'Donnell's books. But the the Philly Zoo, like I said, that was just something I stumbled across. And I haven't been there since I was like a kid, so I haven't gone and asked any of the people there if they see like the ghost of a giraffe or something along those lines. Uh, I'm remembering another episode of The X-Files, uh, Fearful Symmetry, which had oh, these animals yes. that were being abducted by aliens and then ended up being... Invisible. Invisible, yes. Yeah. And there was somebody going, going into a tiger cage and being mauled by an invisible tiger. Yes, I love that episode. That's actually one of my favorites. That was season two. <laughs> With the crappiest sign language from a guy in a gorilla suit. <laughs> I know, I know it is. But, but, but not as crappy as the movie Congo. Yeah, that's true. I mean, that 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 sign language was pretty, just the costume overall. But I just love that episode because I love the idea of it. And isn't it funny, like, it's season two. And, you know, yeah. uh, Scully, Scully is the one always conducting autopsies. And now they jump the shark. And did it on a, yeah. An autopsy of an elephant. Yes. Oh, but I love that because, oh, man, I loved everything about that. That is probably, that probably isn't, like, my top 20 favorite episodes of X-Files. Somewhere in that, in that ballpark. I just love that. Well, season one and two are great, but and season yeah. three. And I, I was going to tell you also when we were talking about the taxidermy stuff and skins and whatnot coming to life, I recently watched uh, Nightmare on Elm Street 3 Dream Warriors because I did a Freddy Krueger roundtable. Okay. And... Uh, there is the scene with the pig, the jump scare scene with the pig on the table that moves and they could not make an animatronic pig. So they took a real pig carcass and let it rot and then use that oh. uh, for the scene. Okay. I don't remember that in three. It's at the very opening uh, when Patricia Arquette's character is dreaming before she wakes up and she goes into this house where she's trying to escape it with this little girl in her hands and she stumbles oh, upon okay. a table with a pig on it. Yeah. Something, something else too that we're now that we're talking about movie references to stuff like this. There's a movie called Dead Heat if you've ever seen that, and it's like a weird buddy cop movie, but they bring people back to life uh, from the dead. And there's a scene in that where uh, they go into a butcher shop, and that everything in that shop ends up coming to life. So there's like a, a headless um, <laughs> cow with no like legs because you know obviously they cut it, and it's like tromping through there, and like the sausages come to life, and they're like linking around. Imagine a sausage and a Anaconda wrapping itself around you. Yes. <laughs> That basically was was in that movie. It's it's a really weird buddy cop movie, but that is that was something that uh, especially upon with the with the Adamstown case, I I, in, I immediately thought of was that movie. I, I wanted to also bring up uh, on Reddit. I saw some ghost dog account. I don't believe any of these Reddit stories, but essentially the guy was saying that he saw a ghost dog uh, pounce on him, okay. but while it was pouncing in the air, uh, he saw that it did not have a head and it did not have one of the front legs, and then it just vanished midair huh. obviously it's a fucking reddit story but yeah that reminds me of uh, morgan daimler's ghost yeah do- not a ghost but fairy dog experience yeah well that, well that was what when you said about not having a leg i'm like okay that that's what i was thinking of when you said that but it was the third but i'd be interested in seeing if it was like in she said it was like in the center of the body right yes for yeah. hers so i'd be interested in seeing if that was the case but yeah it's reddit i mean you gotta take everything that's on there with a grain of salt to say mm. the least okay man we have recorded beyond way beyond two hours though this will be much uh, shorter because of my editing okay um and, and taxidermying of this episode to try and make something out of it <laughs> but just uh, so this episode is not longer than my meat-eating murder horses episode which is two hours <laughs> long uh, can you tell the listeners where they can find you um yeah you can find find me on uh the new world explorer society 
www.blogspot.com. That's where a lot of my research is on. Uh, you can also find me on Instagram at Cole Harold Researcher and also on Facebook. But yeah, so on t- Twitter, but I don't even really use it. So <laughs> now, now when it's falling apart, yeah, especially. But I want to say I'm, you know, everything it will be in the episode description. I just copy paste all the links from the millions of episodes we have together. And I want to say like to you and the listeners, like this is such a wonderful thing that I can, I as a podcaster have a platform, which I can use to, let's say, have Cole here who does not have a show of his own, but has this need to look into cool, weird things and look for these threads, but just needs a justification and a reason to do it. So, hey, I tell you, let's do an episode. And then you now have a reason to uh, look into this stuff and to have so much fun. Yeah, and I always greatly appreciate every time that you have me on. It's always a blast. No problem, man. I'm, I'm going to have you on whenever. Like, I want to do eventually an episode with you about David Huggins because I know that's a big we, thing. Yeah, we talked about that like forever ago. Yeah, we definitely need to do David Huggins. Yeah. Oh, uh, well, Once I have the time to read your 25-page article on him. Oh my god! Well, yeah. Now there's more stuff too because um, there's a guy on Instagram. He's the Bowers Nest, I think, is what his handle is. Yeah, I saw you were sharing that. Yeah, he's um, he's been uploading more of David Huggins' paintings, and man, it is getting even weirder. <laughs> so, um, <laughs> I and I, I live for that because you know David Huggins is probably my favorite of the modern um, paranormal fourteen abductee, whatever you want to call. It. Probably my favorite case of recent times in general. So yeah, uh, man, I love it. I just love how I can provide your reason to go do what you do best and have so much fun and then we share it here with each other and then share it with the world and even i as a podcaster like i have so many things that i want to look into and i would not i would never look into them if not for this podcast So this is just a reason for me to keep digging further into this world of high strangeness because I would have quit all of this stuff a long time ago, if not for all the people I have on and share these cool stories with. Uh, yeah, man. And it's awesome that you do have this show, to say the least, and that people really do appreciate everything that you do and put out there. You and I would not be friends without it. You know, we're not yeah. friends without it, but we would not have never met type of a deal if, you know, throughout this world, um, yeah. you know, and now we're really good friends because of it. So say the least yeah and and now i can exploit your uh, ever-growing library <laughs> oh yeah listeners you you don't have to buy books for yourselves you can just befriend cole <laughs> and ask <laughs> him to do the research for you because he's going to compress it into a consumable form uh that you will have use of instead of reading through a 500 page book well i will certainly try to say the least okay well we're ending here everything will be in the episode description obviously i'm gonna have cole on as many more times as i can and until next time guys i'm sorry if this was very disturbing but i think we ended on a positive note uh.